0: What's it going everybody welcome to the show it is time for break the business where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way i'm ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week man do we have a show for you we have put together quite a little program for you this week viewers and listeners we got great stories we got great co-hosts we have an amazing guest coming up in the segment segment we're gonna be joined by not one but two guests Stephen Shaw and Jonathan Linden, the co-presidents of Round Room Live, are going to join us. I don't know if you've heard of this company. I've heard of this company because I'm a big dork about like the entertainment industry. But even if you haven't heard of this company, you're familiar with their handiwork. They have put on some of the most popular theatrical productions touring around the country right now. Sesame Street Live, Nitro Circus, Shrek the Musical, Peppa Pig. That's these guys. Great shows really terrific entertainment industry innovators are gonna be joining us in the second segment. I am positive that they're gonna have some great advice for us to share, so do not go anywhere. I don't know why people say that on shows like this. Why would you go anywhere? Like, you came here, you obviously wanna check out the whole show. It's not like you're flipping through channels. You went and found this show, so you're here. I'm sure you're not gonna go anywhere, but even if you were thinking of going anywhere, don't go anywhere, cause Stephen Shaw and Jonathan Linden in the next segment are going to be fantastic. But speaking of fantastic people to talk to on this show, America's sweetheart, Katie Zaccardi joining us as our co-host this week. Hello, Katie.
1: Wow, Ryan, that was one of your smoothest intros yet, I think. <laughs> she says <Kidding>? sarcastically.
0: <laughs> I don't I I that, that seems seamless to me. I thought I nailed it. And look, I
1: was laughing. If so. I am
0: if I'm fading a little bit, if it seems like I'm kind of coming apart it's because my beloved Miami Dolphins are out of the playoffs. They streaked across the sky like a beautiful meteor and then just like crashed to earth just as quickly at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. But I wouldn't even say that. I don't think it's really the Kansas City Chiefs that beat my beloved Miami Dolphins. I think that we were swallowed up by a force even more powerful in sports than any member of the Kansas City Chiefs And that is Taylor Swift. Swift. (laughs) The Miami Dolphins were victims of the Taylor Swift effect this week, who was in attendance for the Kansas City Chiefs 26-7 shellacking of the Miami Dolphins. Go ahead and put that up, Lauren. I think you got some video of Taylor at the game there. We can go ahead and have that up on the live stream. Um, She looks great. I mean, look at that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Props to uh, Kristen Yushik. I believe is how you pronounce her name, Yushik. She is the wife of 49ers player Kyle Juszczyk, but more importantly, she is an amazing clothing designer. She made that really cool Travis Kelsey jacket that Taylor Swift is wearing. And look, Taylor Swift just having a great time doing that swag surfing dance, just (laughs) boogieing down. And just the sheer star power of Taylor Swift overwhelmed the Miami Dolphins roster. And we got our proverbial butts kicked. And I ain't even mad. I'm just like I wanted to be mad because I the dolphins have not won a, a playoff game since I was like 15 years old, and it's been a drought. And I'm not even mad because I'm just so happy for Taylor. Look how happy she looks, Katie. I'm willing to wait a little bit longer for that playoff victory to see Taylor Swift happy.
1: You know what I was just thinking is the only thing that would be better than Taylor Swift going to the Super Bowl because her boyfriend's playing it is. Taylor's of performing at the Super Bowl while her boyfriend is playing in it. Like, I know she's not going to do that this year, but can we manifest that for next year <laughs> or the I year like after?
0: It. I think it would be delightful. I mean, and just random fashion. And I think I talked about this last time. We you and I talked about Taylor and Travis Kelsey and the Chiefs and everything, but how fortuitous of her to fall in love. With a member of a football team whose team colors so perfectly match that Taylor Swift cherry red lipstick.
1: Yeah. It it pops.
0: Looks astounding. She's so cool.
1: Yeah. She really does look so effortlessly cool every time she shows up. And I'm sorry for your loss, Ryan, but it is what it is. I do you think the cold got to them a little bit?
0: (laughs) I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean it (laughs) it, it looked horrific. (laughs) I mean, the cold basically got to the entire continental United States, except for South Florida. We were doing just fine. I believe it, it got to Nashville a bit where you are, right?
1: It's freezing down here in Nashville. It snowed a lot on Monday and it's still, you would think it snowed five minutes ago based on the way the roads look. So yeah, we're all hunkered down pretty much. It is very wintry all across the board and it's affecting um, everyone. <laughs> Including
0: football teams. Well, because well, I think part of it is whether your city is used to this kind of weather. Yeah. Cause like, for example, a hurricane in South Florida is certainly devastating, but we have the infrastructure for it. Whereas like when a hurricane hits the northeast, like a superstorm Sandy did about 10 years ago. It was a much weaker hurricane than the ones we get in South Florida, but it yeah. was devastating it was because devastating. they didn't have, they weren't built for hurricanes there. So yeah. when I think cities that are ready for cold weather, I don't think Nashville, Katie Zakari. This must no. have been devastating for your little hamlet.
1: Yeah, it it was. I Nashville is not equipped for the weather, absolutely not. That's what a listener is saying. We got, I think, the most snow we've seen in six years, and. I want to say it was like six inches. I know some places they got eight inches. Apparently we have one snowplow in the whole city. I don't know but if that's accurate information, but that's just what I've been the told. one, one singular snowplow. So like many schools were canceled for a whole week. Luckily I live in a very walkable neighborhood, so I'm still able to do things. And a lot of the roads near me are okay. I mean, I feel confident driving on them because I'm from New York. I'm from the North. So I'm like, Okay, I'm good, but most people are just taking advantage of this time off, and I think the mentality is that they will just let it melt, and it's not going to be melting weather until like at least Monday, uh, the earliest. So we'll see, we'll see how far. I-, I couldn't even get my weekly rotisserie chicken from Whole Foods today because they were out.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that as like the Nashville disaster relief plan the like the plan of attack for uh yeah uh snow is like like, okay we need the snow plan and like they go deep into their archives and files and like they open a little folder and they they just it's it's a sheet of paper that just says let it melt
1: literally it's like wait a week and then it'll probably be 50 (laughs) degrees again shrug (laughs) which is true sadly
0: (laughs) i'm also envisioning like the one snow plow in nashville and and again i don't know if it's true either but i want it to be true just for like the visual of the one snowplow driver like walking out of his door and just seeing the entire town blanket and just being like oh dear
1: yeah like it's all on like one singular guy to fix the city of nashville
0: (laughs) you need to fix nashville doug (laughs) it's all on you buddy and Get then he's like, "I'm truck.
1: actually sick this week. I can't,
0: I can't <laughs> come to <laughs> work." Duck, <laughs> duck picked the worst week to go on vacation. <laughs> what is Nashville gonna do?
1: Oh my gosh! Well. And it's funny too, though, because like even around my building, I'm like, "Do you guys know about shovels or anything?" <laughs> like nobody, nobody is taking responsibility for making Nashville slightly less. Of a mess but it's you know what whatever we're just gonna roll with it
0: well were you getting out there with your shovel
1: I live in an apartment building okay I pay for someone to shovel my <laughs> two feet of sidewalk that my rent goes to, I got
0: so. a guy for that
1: <laughs> um no I'm not shoveling and I don't own a shovel but <laughs> I'm still gonna but I'll pass. judge other people I'm for not shoveling judgment
0: <laughs> oh my god so i got a pretty interesting story to start us off with this week katie it's about money laundering okay and i know what you're thinking why would what would money laundering possibly have to do with anything that we cover on this show about independent creators and empowering them helping them move their crews forward but this is downright fascinating it's a it's a story about money laundering that is probably going to have a direct impact I would say on the vast majority of people listening to this program any person who is an entertainment industry professional who owns their own business this applies to you and you want to listen closely let me give you a little bit of the backstory katie starting on january 1st of this year the u.s corporate transparency act has gone into effect and basically What this law does is it requires business entities to report their ownership information to the U.S. government's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. So, you know, around this country, there are lots of LLCs and corporations, like little small businesses, S-corps, that people create to do a wide range of business activities. And for the most part, and it's interesting, but for the most part, when you create an LLC, depending on what state you're in, you don't have to tell the government who your owners are. Like, when I, if I were to create an LLC right now in the state of Florida, all they want to know is the name of one person who can act on behalf of the LLC and who the registered agent is, which means if you're suing this company, who do you send the lawsuit to? Mm-hmm. And that's all the state of Florida wants to know. They don't care who any of the other owners are, and they don't want to know who owns what and what their percentages are and what their name is. And so as a result of that, LLCs and other kind of small entities can be a really great vehicle for money laundering right because you can create these business entities and and you know commit all these crimes with them and the government doesn't know who owns you yeah and so they're trying to fix that so now if you have an LLC if you have an S Corp you have to tell the US government this uh, financial crimes enforcement network or FinCEN who your owners are what their identities are so if any of them do commit crimes the government knows who to look for. And so, this is a law that's about preventing money laundering. But a lot of different types of companies are going to get swept up in this law and now have a reporting obligation, including independent creators who happen to have LLCs or corporations or uh, any kind of person who works in the entertainment industry. If you're a consultant, if you're a music manager, if you're an agent, if you're anybody who works in this industry and you use an S-Corp, an LLC, a C-Corp, a limited partnership to set up your business, if you're not just a sole proprietorship, if you actually went to some state and created some business entity, the law is almost assuredly now going to require you to report your information to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. And if you don't, you could face civil or criminal penalties, legitimate Scary stuff. Like, I I don't mean to like freak anybody out because it's not a significant reporting requirement. You most likely can fill out the report in five minutes, but you got to do it. And if you don't do it, you can get yourself into a little bit of trouble. And so, a lot of artists don't know about this. And so, we're kind of doing a public service announcement here. I am putting a web address up there on the live stream now B O I E filing at FinCEN.gov. That's B O I E filing at FinCEN.gov go to that website you can find out what you need to do the filing if you are in any way even slightly intimidated by this talk to a lawyer first there are some folks who don't have to fill out this requirement or don't have to fill this filing requirement for some various reason talk to a lawyer see if it applies to you but definitely take care of this Uh, curious uh, Katie uh, do you have any, like, LLCs or corporations that now you're like, oh, I better check into this? Or is everything you're doing, like, through a sole proprietorship?
1: Yeah, I'm actually still a sole prop, and I intend to stay that way, most likely, especially if this is the case. I mean, not that this isn't something that I can't deal with, but, um, I, yeah, I, am, I have been a sole prop for the last five years.
0: Well... If, you know, you might eventually want to uh, set up a new entity for this. Yeah. Uh, if, if uh, you know, as a lot of folks like in your shoes do start out as sole proprietorships, mm-hmm. eventually move into an LLC. Right. But what makes this interesting is the law treats differently people who had business entities before January 1st, 2024 and people who formed them after. So let's say our friend Katie Zaccardi sets up an LLC for her consulting work starting now in 2024 you have a different timeline for reporting obligations so if you created your business entity before january 1st 2024 and i know this is this applies to you producer lauren because i know you have like 500 different llcs and corporations uh don't worry i'll probably take care of these filings for you lauren but (laughs) um if you are one of those people that already have an entity in place and set it up before the new year You have until the end of 2024 to complete this filing. So you got a whole year to take care of this. You guys are in the best situation. Now, let's say you create an entity this year at some time between January 1st, 2024 and the end of 2024. You have a slightly less favorable situation. You have to do your FinCEN filing within 90 days of creating your entity so you have you're a little bit more on the clock than the pre 2024 people then the probably the people that have the toughest situation is if you wait until 2025 or later to create your business entity you now only have 30 days from uh creating your entity to do your FinCEN filing so and you if you know the best way to think of it is it's just one more thing you have to do when you create your business entity like yeah most people who create LLCs right you don't just create the LLC and then you're, you're done there are a few subsequent steps you have to take right one you got to get your EIN you got to get your employment identification number which is like the social security number for your business you usually do that pretty close to right after you setting up your entity but you need that number because you have to do your tax filings you might set up what's called an operating agreement, which is a contract between you and the other people that own the entity that says how much of each person, you know, how much of the, of the entity does each person own. You might need a bank account, you, you know, you'll set up banking. And so there's different things that you're going to, you might need a business license depending on where you are and the, what kind of work you're doing. And so think of your FinCEN filing, this, uh, this uh, ownership and information filing as just one more thing you got to put on your list. Create the entity, EIN, operating agreement, licenses, FinCEN filing. you got to put that one in there, but definitely make sure you take care of this. If you have an LLC or if you're going to form one soon, don't lose sight of this, all right? This is very, very important. A lot of people are going to be scrambling this year to get this filing in place. I already have clients reaching out to me. I am already working very hard to reach out to my clients to say, hey, are you aware of this? Uh, do you need me to take care of your filing? Like, don't don't let this sit on the back burner because you have a strict deadline here to get this filing in by the end of the year if you created your entity before 2024. And if they um, again, don't,
1: what happens?
0: D- do you want to get on the federal government's bad side? I don't.
1: <laughs> I'm not asking, like, to be like, and so what if I don't? Yeah, but, like, yeah. I- <laughs> you'll,
0: you'll never take me alive, coppers. <laughs>
1: But I do think it is because it, it is one of those things where it's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I could do it later. I'll do it later. like, no, like what actually would happen if they did, if people didn't fill this out?
0: Well, from my reading of the law, you, you could certainly be subject to fines. Um, and I believe... People who willfully lie on their FinCEN application, like make, maybe let's say you fill out the application and you don't want the government to know who some of your owners are, maybe because you are involved in some illegal activity, mm. you could face jail time for that. So, yeah. how about we just not worry about any of that and do what the uh, law says that we should do? Okay. Talk to a lawyer. Go to B-O-I-E boiefiling.fincen.gov and. Get your filings done. A little public service announcement to start the year. Get started. You got, look, you got 11 and a half months to take care of this, all right? You can't say nobody told you, like, too late, all right? I'm 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 coming no. at you real early with this, all right? This is, like, we're, I'm not doing this, like, on the December 15th episode of Break the Business.
1: <laughs> By the like, way. By the way, <laughs>
0: quick, happy new year. Oh, quick, do this filing. No, I'm telling you now, <laughs> no, no, all right? Quick. Like, and, and look, like I, I am the teacher that is telling you a month ahead of time that you can start your science projects now. Okay. Like don't wait until the day your science project is due. All right. You got plenty of time to work on it. Put it on your calendar that you're going to talk to your lawyer and see if you are subject to the FinCEN filing requirement and uh, get yourself taken care of this year.
1: You got it. Shouldn't be that hard.
0: I don't think so. I mean, the, I mean, it takes about five minutes to fill it out. It's just one of those things that you're going to just add it to your t- shopping list or to-do list when you create a new business entity, as a lot of independent creators are. And I don't want independent creators to look at this filing requirement and have it discourage them from setting up uh, limited liability entities there are lots of advantages to setting up these kind of entities all right it it can protect your personal assets if your entity gets sued or it owes debt it's a lot easier for your accountant comes tax time to process a lot of your uh, profits and losses if you're doing it through a separate entity there's a lot of different advantages to it don't let the fact that you have to do this extra five minute filing get in the way of you setting up a business entity for your entertainment work or whatever work you do in the entertainment industry whether it's as an entertainer or as a manager or as a agent or as a consultant like Katie Zacardi.
1: What would we do without you Ryan? Cuz I wouldn't have even like known this if it I mean, weren't for this podcast.
0: Who would you laugh at as a like as the Dolphins fan you get to laugh at if you if uh if you didn't know me?
1: There's so many things you're good for.
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you something that you are good for, Katie Sacardi is the amazing advice on your TikTok channel. It is a it is a mainstay of my for you page. Whenever, you know, and, and I know we're all busy, so right, you don't get to make nearly as many of these TikTok videos as you want. And I haven't made one in like three months, so I totally get it. <laughs> but when when you do come out, my algorithm on TikTok is so perfectly tuned to send it right to my for you page love it, love without it, love haste. It. <laughs> Every single video that Katie Zacardi does put out is a banger. Great advice for any creators. And so when she puts out a video with particularly delicious advice, I like to share it with the viewers and listeners, just totally infringing her copyrights and uh, play it on the show and for her to talk more about it. So, Lauren, do you have Katie Zacardi's uh, most recent TikTok?
1: Growing your fan base isn't a goal. I mean, it is. But within that goal, you've got to have a more specific goal. What does growing a fan base even look like? What's the specific number that you want to grow to within a specific time frame? Why do you want to have that fan base? What do you want that fan base to do for you and for your music career? Answer those questions, do a little journal sesh and set specific goals when it comes to growing your fan base, because that's going to make it a lot easier to actually achieve it when it comes to reaching those goals, you'll be working towards a specific end post when it comes to manifesting, you'll be calling in a very specific thing and you'll have direction and intention and a different kind of energy behind growing your fan base instead of just feeling like oh i just need to grow that's a very large go- grow you could always be growing you can and will always be growing what is your first goal post to that goal
0: so being purposeful about growing your fan base don't pursue growth for the sake of growth but have some direction behind it uh, am i am i on the right track with what you're saying there
1: Definitely. I think uh, what's actually funny is I recorded that draft back in the summer and then I was trying to post something before the new year. And I was like, this is really fitting because people are setting their new year's goals and their new year's intentions and figuring out what they want to accomplish in 2024. And it is really easy as a musician to set these big lofty goals. I'll give another example because it doesn't just apply to growing a fan base. I was just on a client call two hours ago and one of my clients was like, I... I'm really trying to get better at songwriting and last week we had talked about her co-writing with people and setting up some co-writes so that she could work with people collaborate and just continue like flexing the muscle and getting better at songwriting and she was like I'm not getting as much responses as I thought it's just kind of like slow moving and it's making me like have self-doubt and so we talked about it and when I asked her some more questions, we just realized that the goal was so lofty. Like, I want to get better at songwriting. That's the kind of thing that you will always be doing. The more you songwrite, the more you will get good. <laughs> yeah. The more you grow your fan base, the more you will grow your, your fan base. But when you have giant goals that just have like no end point, it can be easy to do two things. Number one, kind of self-sabotage a little bit because it's like, well, I haven't reached it yet. It's taking forever. It feels really hard. I feel like I need a break because you're not actually ever hitting an end post. Um, and number two, it can be really hard to measure success because again, you don't have an end post. And so while you might be growing in, in all different ways, you're not taking a beat to realize how much you actually have grown. And then you never feel like you're really truly moving forward. Um, I think that setting specifics, as I said in that video, obviously, can be really helpful to have something that you're specifically working towards. It's nice in the manifestation process, envision your numbers or envision what you want to do. And using that second example of songwriting, you might be thinking, well, I do want to always be growing my songwriting. What I would challenge you to think about is like, what is one specific thing you want to do with that songwriting this year or in the next six months? Do you want to write a song good enough that you feel confident to release? Do you want to write an EP worth of songs? Do you want to just get to a point where you can perform a song live? I mean, there's so many different like things within that that you can focus on as a first stepping stone that will help that goal become more clear and more doable.
0: And you know the and to the point of what you're bringing up there about the flaws in a goal like I want to get better with my songwriting is there's nothing quantifiable about
1: that. Not there's... at all. Yeah, it's like that's subjective.
0: <laughs> and you know, if, if you're one of these people that believes in continuing improvement, like you probably, you probably get better, you, you become a better songwriter with each song you write. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's both a intangible goal, but also one that is almost too easy. Whereas, you know, using specific quantifiable metrics, such as like, you know, a number that you want to hit, or at least, you know, as you met, as you said, there's some kind of like, end goal point of I want to place one of my songs in a a TV commercial or something Mm -hmm. like that. That's something you can hold on to and makes for much better goal setting.
1: Exactly. And I think that you kind of started to say this, but it can be a goal that's so lofty that you feel like you're always going towards it. It could also make the goal something that's so like small where it's like, oh yeah, I grew my audience by one number. Technically you grew it. <laughs> and a lot of people who talk on manifestation will will say this. Um, I hear this a lot when they talk about manifesting money. Because a lot of people, again, will just be like, I just want more money. I just want more money, more money, more money, right? But what is more money? Because a penny is more than you have now. $5, $20 is more than you have now. Do you want that? Or do you want $10,000? Like there's a big difference between those numbers. And so if you're just manifesting more, you know, the universe is going to interpret more. However, it wants. I know we're getting a little woo-woo here. And if you don't, you know, believe in the universe or manifestation, that's totally okay. But I think that that same like idea or that same concept can be applied to how you are literally just approaching your goals. Of so, like I have I can listener interpret data that, right
0: here, Katie. They like it when you get woo-woo.
1: Really? I guys. mean it's
0: it's unanimous. All right. if, okay, so like- if you don't get like super granola crunchy, the listeners get real <laughs> upset.
1: I know. When I try to do it, I feel like I'm always disclaimering it because I don't want anyone to be like, what is this? Um, like if you could bring know, out a crystal
0: we- at some point, we really appreciate it.
1: Don't tempt me. I will. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I should do next time? Maybe we could do like a tarot card reading or I'll pull a tarot card for our listeners. Yes. (laughs) That would be really Um, (laughs) woo-woo. But all of that to say, if we do go back to that manifestation thread, that's why I think the specifics are necessary. And it really hones you in. And again, it's like there's a difference between $10 and $10,000. And there's probably a difference between growing my fan base by one follower and growing my fan base by 10,000 followers. And you know what you want. You know around what you want. So be specific.
0: So bring it back to growing your fan base. If we all accept the premise that I want to grow my fan base is a pretty useless goal. Mm -hmm. How would you reformulate that if you are an indie creator to make it something that's actually going to be effective?
1: So I would do two things. And this is an exercise that I literally give my clients in Audience Builder right when they're getting started is pick a number and pick a vibe. (laughs) I'll put it that way. So number wise, like, where are you now? And where do you want to go
0: in terms of like your fan base
1: in terms of your fan base? Yeah. Like, let's say we're looking at TikTok numbers, social media numbers, maybe you, and, and I'll also say that sometimes this is, it's just going to be a starting point, right? Like, Sometimes things blow up and you might blow past this number so easily. It might be something that takes you the whole year to hit or almost hit. But taking a something that feels realistic to you, like I want to reach 10,000 followers, right? Or I want to surpass 10,000 followers or maybe you're already at 10,000 and you want to get to 50,000, right? Just picking an actual quantifiable number that you want to reach in terms of growing those numbers. Then I would also think about The vibes, the vibes. Because what do you want to create, right? So you can get ten thousand followers by like paying bots or like attracting people who like aren't a good fit, but might be easy like follows, but aren't your ideal audience. So thinking about who do you want those people to be, what do you want to create, what do you want your community? Because that's also a form of growth, right? Some people have a lot of followers, but they want their audience to be more engaged. So that is more just about I want to set out to have a community that comments and comments back to each other and talks to each other underneath my posts. I want people to comment on my post saying I totally relate to this or, oh my gosh, this is so funny. Like thinking of those things that might not be quite as measurable, but are more about the community that you want to create and the impact that you want to have.
0: So what I'm hearing is effective goal setting begins with one being more clear on your what. You know, in terms of numbers and actual quantifiable metrics, but also being particularly strong on your why, you know, what is the why do I want this goal? What am I trying to accomplish? What is the end game? beyond just the numbers I'm trying to create. Mm-hmm. You can find out more about uh, all the great stuff Katie has. KatieZaccardi.com. Did I get that right? Yep, It's been a while did. since I had to give out your website. Yeah, katiezicardi.com. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you kept that one simple for me. Much appreciated. <laughs> Let's take a break, and then we're going to be joined by Stephen Shaw and John and the Linden of Round Room Entertainment. We're going to ask him so many Sesame Street questions. It's going to be ridiculous. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. Break the Business is presented in cooperation with Ryan A. Carella, PA. Ryan A. Carella, PA is a law firm providing transactional entertainment legal services, including contracts, business formation, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. rkpalaw.com
2: Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you
0: bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can follow the host that's me on twitter at ryan kair and you can follow the show at the btb podcast be sure to subscribe to the show on twitch youtube and facebook and on all major podcast platforms and now let's get back to the show thanks me welcome back to break the (laughs) business everybody ryan corella here with katie zaccardi i'm thinking about the tarot cards that you say you can bring to the show, Katie. I want to do a tarot card reading next time we have you on. Let's only do it. so that you can flip the death card. And then I freak <laughs> out. And then you go, oh no, don't worry. The death card isn't what it sounds like. Because that's what you always like say when the death card comes out. It's like, you no, know, <laughs> it's not bad. Even though it says death.
1: You know, nothing is bad necessarily it's all about how you interpret in in the context and i'm definitely no expert tarot now you sound reader, like a lawyer
0: <laughs> it's all in the interpretation
1: yeah 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 I'll, we'll do like lawyerly tarot on on the
0: podcast oh that sounds amazing <laughs> Let's go ahead and bring out our guests this week. They are the co-presidents of Round Room Live, the leading producer and promoter of exhibitions and family show entertainment. Round Room specializes in transforming iconic IP into thrilling live events. And their current roster of touring theatrical shows include Blippi the Wonderful World Tour, Sesame Street Live, which is coming out in April, Peppa Pig Live, Shrek the Musical, Nitro Circus, and more. You can find out more about our guest work by visiting roundroomlive.com. We are happy to welcome Stephen Shaw and Jonathan Linden on to Break the Business. Hello to you both.
3: Hey, Ryan. Nice to see you.
0: Thanks nice. for having me. So great to have you. I'm glad that the three of us, uh, Stephen, uh, Jonathan, me, like we all just kind of got the memo about like wearing the same like dark, nondescript sweater <laughs> this week. I'm glad you all got my messages about that and you know <laughs> katie was the only one who even yeah, came in with a of the semblance loop, of style
1: Ryan, what the heck
4: You <laughs> wanted to start off on the right foot that's right uh,
0: ironically um only the men are dressed like elizabeth holmes right now and <laughs> the only blonde woman on the show not dressed like elizabeth holmes that's pretty wacky <laughs> um yeah, i'm
1: trying to keep my reputation so
0: that's right yeah i mean very fitting to talk about Elizabeth Holmes on an episode where we bring up, like, laws that prevent, like, money laundering and evil businesses and things like that. Um, Jonathan, Stephen, I am very excited to be speaking with you both, both as a appreciator of your work in the live music space and also as a new dad who is very much getting into the kind of IP that you all specialize in with your shows like Sesame Street Live and Peppa Pig Live. I'm curious... Um, I know you're both are pretty experienced in this industry. You've done a wide range of things in this business. Um, what got you guys interested in doing family oriented live events that are going to keep my new son happy?
4: Well, thanks. Thanks for having us, Ryan. We're excited to be here. And so Stephen and I got started in the in the concert touring business. And so when you talk about music and I know that's a, a central theme here, we were in the the concert touring business in Uh, working for a company in Toronto that focused on major tours at the time, including the Rolling Stones and Barbra Streisand and Pink Floyd. And in those days, this is more than 10 years ago, there was a larger period of time between tour cycles. And so we were tasked with sort of figuring out how to fill out the rest of the roster and what else we were going to do in between tour cycles. And so we started to get into kids and family touring, Broadway shows, uh, traveling exhibitions, And as we evolved that side of the business, Stephen and I became particularly interested in it, and the company we were working for sold into Live Nation, and we were there for a while where it was particularly focused, obviously, on uh, concert touring and the direct ancillaries, including Ticketmaster, and so we saw the opportunity, which is uh, uh, I know a lot of your listeners are focused on, we saw the opportunity of a spot in the business that was... Underexploited, where there's the the kids and family space. At the time, was uh, a lot of the shows were a little older. There was a little less production value. And as concert touring promoters, we saw the opportunity to raise the uh, the level of the production of these shows, raise the experience, uh, use some of the concert touring aspects of moving around more quickly, moving in and out of cities more quickly. And we saw the spot, and we took the we took the opportunity and rolled off of the larger promoter and created round room. And uh, um, that's how we started and we, we continue to build today and we're really excited about it.
0: And again, as a new dad, I very much appreciate people like you, you. Talented, talented professionals getting into this space and realizing wow, this isn't being done as well as it could and parents are suffering because they have to watch low quality programming. <laughs> And let me walk you guys through something I've heard other folks say in the children's space. And I'll pass this question off to you, Stephen. I've interviewed a couple Grammy Award winners for best children's album, and I've asked them, you know, what's the secret to making great children's music? And both of them gave me kind of a similar answer along the lines of it first begins with developing an understanding that your audience is not the children but is the parents and obviously you want to make you know content that keeps the children happy but ultimately it's the parents that are spending the money it's the parents that have to sit through the show and so the content still has to be good it still has to be high quality it can't just be less impressive versions of adult shows the songs have to be great. The performances have to be great. The talent has to be excellent. And so I'd like you to reflect on that if you could, Stephen. Um, when you're making kids-oriented programming like Sesame Streets Live, how much do you focus your content on catering to the parents versus catering to the kids?
3: We come at it from the standpoint that uh, you know the first priority is the children. And you know they're the real fans of the characters. They're the real fans of the shows, and and um, the, the IP that we're presenting on stage are the are, is the content that these kids are watching on you know screens or tablets or, or TV. And so we we strive to make these shows fast paced, lots of music, dancing, engaging set pieces and visuals to keep the kids engaged and them having a great time. You know we've learned through our extensive experience in family entertainment that having a show that's fun and exciting for for not only just the kids to your point, but for the entire family, parents included, you know, increases the overall enjoyment. It it increases the enjoyment of the siblings and and everyone. Uh, And and if the family is having that, it it ultimately leads to repeat business and, you know, better social media engagement and, and ultimately higher ticket sales. You know, we look at it similar to I guess the way to look at it would, would be something like, uh, you know, uh, the animated films that come out of Pixar or DreamWorks yeah. or, or, or Disney, um, you know, these films are enjoyable for all ages, right? And, and so that's how we try to build our shows. But, but ultimately we start with how do we keep the kids engaged through, you know, a 90 minute experience or a 75 minute experience?
0: Yeah, see, I don't know if I buy that. I feel like you guys make Sesame Street for me. Like before this show started, y'all—no kidding. Uh, producer Lauren, Katie, and I—we were listening to the Letter of the Day song from the the Sesame Street series, like, yeah. and I got to, that song. Absolutely slaps. It is a terrific song, and I feel like little children just don't appreciate how excellent that song is. They love the song because it's about a letter and they're learning their letters or everything. But Letter of the Day is a fantastic piece of music that you, that, that me, a grown-ass person, will be humming to himself even if there are no children around because that song was made for me. I maintain it.
3: Yeah, I've I've had Elmo's song in my head for about nine years now. Four yeah. children <laughs> that have gone through it, so <laughs> I'm I, I hear what you're saying. I think you know from from our side, it's it, it's the engagement aspect. It's it's ensuring that kids are up on their feet and dancing, and and you know, being a parent, and and we can we can all understand that point of view. Having kids being excited and pumped and happy makes the parents happy, right? Ultimately. And so um, that that's a key thing for us is to ensure that the kids are up and and having a, a blast, a, a, a first concert experience. and that's that's the way we sort of build our shows. I dig that.
0: A big part of what you guys have to do, I'll take I'll send this question to Jonathan. Um, ultimately, a big part of your operations is licensing IP. You know, when you are putting on Peppa Pig, the musical, Nitro Circus, Sesame Street Live, you are taking other folks' IP. Other, other IP holders are trusting you with their brand, with their copyright, with their material, and bringing their vision to life. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the process of, like, how you get these folks to trust you with your material, how the work that's involved in taking somebody else's characters and concepts and stories and bringing them to life in a new medium, the stage?
4: Yeah, for sure. And I guess I'm, you know, as a starting point, I'm I'm hesitant to admit that I, similar to you, started out like a lawyer because I, I don't want to do any FinCEN filings or anything like that. But when, when we start out in the process, it's, you, you have to, you know, aside from the, the contracting part and, and getting the license and everything so that it's in the right spot, it, you, you have to, you know, you mentioned the word trust and you have to build the trust with the IP holders and then you have to, to hold the trust. And, and, you know, when we explain our background coming out of the concert touring business where those productions are much larger and the, the capitalizations are higher, but it, you have to remember that, uh, and, and I'm sure you're appreciating this as a new dad, these are billion-dollar IP, right? Peppa Pig uh, um, was sold into Hasbro, and that was a billion-dollar transaction. Blippy was sold into Candle and Blackstone. That was a billion-dollar transaction. And so these are, are major pieces of IP, and these companies hold them tight and manage them closely. And the live entertainment piece is, is a major touchpoint because you can watch the content on your your phone or your tv or your ipad you can watch it whenever wherever whereas the live experience it happens at a specific time in a specific place and you know where exactly your audience is and uh you can engage with them and so for us it was uh it, it's it, when you break off and try to disrupt a little bit and get into a new business uh, a key part at the beginning was winning over the trust at the beginning that these. Uh, these guys who had worked in a lot of other places and worked on a lot of interesting projects and had a lot of experience that we're gonna trust them with RIP And then the ability is is keeping that trust and the, and the key part of it, while it sounds basic is is high production value, uh, working hard to, to keep their trust and a, a great show that people are having a lot of a lot of fun with and that there's consistent consumers where, the live show is a great extension of the brand that everybody's having fun and enjoying, and um, it's it's a key piece of of what we're doing, trying to trying to keep being good custodians of of billion dollar IP and keeping our licensors happy.
0: It's exciting. It seems like an exciting adventure to be on, and I would imagine it's a lot easier to get the trust of these IP holders. When you've already had quite a few wins under your belt, when they can see what you've done with other IP, they know that they can trust you with. But I bet in the early years, it it was probably uh, more of a challenge to show proof of concept, to show, to trust, to get these billion dollar brands to trust you guys with uh, this and, you know, to show them the amazing things you could do with that art.
3: Yeah, we 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 first started. You know, we were we were a startup, right? We were pitching major studios, major agencies, entertainment companies, asking them for that trust, right? You know, and uh, sort of pitching our team and our expertise and what we could do. And so, as you've rightly pointed out, it, it's it's gotten easier, right? You have a track record. You've got things to point to that have worked and had success. And and
0: um, yeah, Cookie you know, Monster that, that, can write you a letter of recommendation. It makes it exactly easier.
3: right, and it it becomes easier to to. Uh, to acquire more business as, as time goes on. And, and uh, you know, we continue to develop and produce live entertainment shows.
0: That's a, so which Sesame street character is the hardest to work with when you're putting on these shows. I'm thinking Abby Cadabby. <laughs> She's got to be such a diva uh, on these productions, but I, you know, or maybe it's cookie monster. Cause he just destroys your craft services table. I'm just curious.
3: I think most people would probably say Elmo, right? He's the, he's like the true star, oh, but yeah. um, you know, shows listen, up late. Tour- we're a we're a touring business, right? We have to move this city, this show from city to city. We cross oceans and in you know foreign foreign countries and continents, and and so uh, it's got to be Big Bird, right? He's the largest character. Mm. Uh, his his feathers are very delicate. Uh, you know, he's got a, a tall frame, and so he he probably presents the the most. You can't fit
0: him stress. in an economy class seat, yeah. <laughs> exactly, or a conventional hotel room. He's got a lot of accommodations. Yeah.
4: Uh,
0: <laughs> these are such stupid questions i can't believe i talked myself into asking them but i had to because i just love sesame street so much and i love the work that you all are doing with it um where do you guys see live events going from here i would imagine you know post covid lockdowns and and how much live theater is changing i would imagine it's probably accelerated a lot of technological innovation in your industry can you give us some thoughts about what live performances are going to look like 10 years from now, maybe that's different from today?
4: Well, I think just to the first part of your question, obviously we were bullish on live entertainment. We've been doing it our whole careers and we set out in this uh, on the journey with Roundroom, which has been exciting for us, but we ran into the pandemic like everybody else. It obviously hit live entertainment hard, And but I think we're even more bullish today because it feels like the consumer came out of that period of time of, that was taken away from everybody, the opportunity to be at a live show, the sort of the, the spirit of congregation and being with other people and enjoying the IP and the music together was taken away. And so there's uh, it feels like it, it came back with a lot of pent up demand and it's staying strong where people uh, sort of value and experience more than the things. And they they want to be there and they want to experience it. And So we're seeing it with uh, events are busier. Average ticket prices are going up. A lot more merchandise is being sold. But to your, your point in, in relation to technology, in relation to a lot of our projects, uh, there's sort of two sides of it. One side is the technology is advanced and it's allowed us as producers and promoters to create more dynamic events in a more cost and time efficient way. But also there's, and you'll quickly learn this as a new dad, there's a there's a heightened expectation from consumers today. And a consumer, when you know when we were younger, everything was amazing when you went into the theater. Now, uh, people who have a, a phone and an iPad and a Netflix membership, you know, it's, it's, they've got a heightened expectation of what's gonna, what's gonna wow them and what's going to engage them. And so, uh, technology has, has contributed that way. And so we're, we continue to be bullish that, that live entertainment is, is, uh, an area that continues to get stronger.
0: Since you brought up COVID and those, uh, really brutal years for live performance what did the covid pandemic look like for Round Room? i mean h- how did you all pivot was it just sort of yeah. we're going to kind of hunker down until this all clears up or were you offering different services maybe virtual programming
3: i mean it had a s- seismic effect on our business right we had to pull multiple tours uh, off the road we shut down major productions we s- suffered delays on on our operating shows, but obviously stoppages from the development of our content pipeline. Um, So it it had a huge effect. Um, During during that period of time, we had to pivot. And so what we did is we rented theaters, and we brought our cast in and our crew in and we filmed our shows and streamed them, right. And we sold them to major streaming platforms, or we had them under a pay gate wall and uh, online for access to our fan base. Um, But you know, that period of time lasted about 14 to 16 months. And I think for the first little while, it was all sort of unknown on how long it was going to last. Um, And so the pivot sort of didn't happen until month three or four. But, you know, after about 14 or 15 months, touring resumed, right? But just under a completely different model, right? Socially distant seating led to significant capacity reductions. Um, you know, we had to have COVID testing at theaters and all attendees wore masks and our cast and crew all wore masks. It was a it was a different world for us. But, you know, we we made it work and we got all of our shows back on the road. Um, and then to Jonathan's point, after years of that pent up demand, you know, we're seeing revenues of live music, immersive experiences, family entertainment not only recovered from the pandemic but but even surpassing their sort of pre-pandemic economic peak right um and it's driven by that you know that yearning for that cultural experience that they all sacrificed and so and for us now you know we've never been more active right we we've never had more shows on the road more events um and experiences in development and and the future's bright it's really exciting and we're we're happy to sort of have that behind us and and looking forward to, you know, an exciting, exciting next, next chapter.
0: And I can see producer Lauren smiling in the virtual green room right now at the notion of live theater, which is what she does for a living. She puts on shows all over the country coming back stronger than ever a post uh, pandemic lockdown. Uh, and it's great to see your organization thriving Sesame street live starting up April 16th in Portland, Maine, and just, traveling all over the country um where's the florida date gentlemen by the way uh producer lauren was asking about that as well i mean i'm down in miami florida i know tours never come all the way down to miami that often because it's so far down to get into the state but can y'all meet us halfway like maybe do something in orlando i'll bring my kid up to orlando to watch oscar the grouch what's going on We'll be closer than
3: that. You'll you. We will be. Uh, think of us in this sort of Fort Lauderdale area. But oh, the, the, my man! All right. So we, um, you know, we we essentially announce our tours seasonality. So we've we've got the spring up now. Um, the fall tour will will be announced sometime in the spring, uh, and we'll make sure that uh, that Ryan you are a special guest.
0: Oh, don't don't even joke about <laughs> that. That would. <laughs> Because I'll make it all about me. I'll be up there uh, singing C is for Cookie with Cookie Monster and just bringing the absolute house down. Um, really excited uh, for everything you all are doing and so happy to see your organization thriving. Again, you, you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting roundroomlive.com and sesamestreetlive.com. Our co-hosts, or a guests rather, are Jonathan Lennon and Stephen Shaw, the co-presidents of Round Room Live entertainment uh just out of curiosity since you're both co-presidents how do you break ties how do we break ties well yeah you're
3: co-presidents <laughs> like is there a third well, president or like no uh, no, how- no we well you know we're both from toronto and we both both grew up uh playing in, in loving ice hockey so so typically we we strap on the skates and have a one-on-one match against each other and whoever <laughs> scores the
4: first goal gets the uh, tiebreaker vote
0: oh i thought you were going to say as hockey players you just have like a hockey fight to
4: determine <laughs> <stuff>. <laughs> I I suppose uh, that would be the tiebreaker of the tiebreaker, but we haven't got that yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I mean, look, Toronto's great, but everybody knows that the center of the hockey universe is South Florida because of the uh, the Florida Panthers playing so well right now. (laughs) Uh, Jonathan, Stephen, this has been an absolute treat. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to get really goofy with Sesame Street and to share some great insights with our viewers and listeners along the way. Before we let you go, we got one last question for each of you. I'll give each of you a chance to answer our final question. We'll start with you, Jonathan. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward?
4: Well, I think it's, uh, you know, as I said, having started out as a lawyer, because and obviously there was some preamble where you were talking about certain legal requirements and everything else. I think there's a lot of people that whatever your training is or whatever your background is, that pivoting into something else getting into live entertainment from practicing law or getting into an area of the entertainment business that you hadn't previously been in uh, you know there's there's a learning curve and it's not everything's easy to jump into but if it's if it's exciting to you and you see the opportunity uh, it's worth it it's 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 something that we did and Stephen and I came at it from slightly different angles but we've been working together for a long time and it's uh if you can find something that Uh, is exciting and you can make a living and you can uh, delight and entertain kids at the same time. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty rewarding.
0: Steven, same question.
3: I would say, you know, Roundroom was founded after we identified an an underserved market, right? What we talked about right off the top. We saw what was out there. um, We saw what wasn't working and we built a recipe and a formula for how to make it better. And so I guess my my answer would be um, innovation, right, identifying and then building and creating something new, something exciting, something the world hasn't seen before. Um, I I think that's a very good model. And I think once you take, take that and, and pair it with unrelenting hard work, you will you'll find your success
0: so inspired by both of you. Jonathan, Steven, this has been a treat. Please don't be strangers. All right. We want to see how the tour is going. Please come back on again real soon. And uh, just let us keep tabs on you. Really enjoyed this conversation.
3: Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. We really appreciate you having us. And uh, we look forward to coming back and look forward to having you in Fort Lauderdale
0: that's oh man i feel so much better about that all right jonathan linden and stephen Thank shaw you, everybody who have made a binding promise that they're going to be bringing <laughs> sesame street live to fort lauderdale and i feel much much better about that uh producer lauren with the time that we have left uh in the the five or so minutes uh, i'd love to get you to pop in here if you don't mind uh give us some of your thoughts on what uh jonathan and Stephen said about kind of their bullish outlook on the future of live performances as somebody like you who works in this industry makes a living in it does it make you feel good when you hear these two experienced promoters saying we love what the future looks like in live music post this lockdown
2: oh man it just makes me want to go work with you guys Uh, (laughs) i'm like yes let's go to that happy place because i i do smaller shows also with a canadian what um (laughs) and and i find that a lot of the big brand stuff is getting a lot more recognition. People are going out to see the Sesame Streets and the Peppa pigs of the world. And the like, wait, who is that guy? Is a little harder to get heard over the digital noise because there's so much noise of like, come see this and hear this. And they're like, we don't know who you are. Um, and it's a very different market, but just the, the thoughts and the hopes that people are getting back out. And the ones that are getting back out are, more grateful to be there they're there and going like not oh god another show but like yes another show like it just feels good down to your bones and um the appreciative audiences are nice the audiences that aren't complaining about the price of the ticket they just bought and things like that like it's it's a a better quality of audience, I think, that's coming back. And so the hope that that audience isn't just the core fans, but the hope that there's more of them coming and that the next generation are being bred into an appreciation of that live art form, like that is very hopeful Mm -hmm. to me. So you guys can't see me backstage or in the hotel or wherever I am right now. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) You guys know what that's like. Um, But when... I was geeking out like I'm backstage just going like oh my god that just sounds awesome oh my god they're so happy to- oh my god things are back for them like this is great <laughs> and so uh you made my night I'm thrilled
0: <laughs> they are the happiest most well-adjusted looking live theater promoters I have ever seen because I've worked in this industry for a long time like I've never seen anybody in your line of work smile as much as you two do oh that's the not secret true. must be working off. with the the children's <laughs> media.
2: That's my happy place though. So, like, <laughs> put me in youth entertainment. Give me like you guys are Canadian. Get on the phone. I want to be the next. Like, um, oh man, I just lost it. Rafi. Like, he's Canadian <laughs> too. He's up there off the border. And like he only does like benefit concerts now. But whenever they happen, I was like, why was I not there? Like, Rafi's brilliant. I love him. But I've seen Peppa Pig. Uh, I've had friends in Shrek, but this is a new one. So you guys who work with David Lindsay Abeer and got to like read you that, I'm serious. You guys, I'm fans of you and the <laughs> stuff that you're doing um, because that sector is is fascinating. Just the youth entertainment and family entertainment, like the kids are the, tell me if I'm wrong, is this your experience, are, are the most honest audience you'll ever get. When you do a production and it's done well, you are a rock star. You are a princess. You are that person that they created. And when it's not quite right, they are dead honest to you. They're like, I don't understand why you did that.
3: <laughs> the
2: cookie monster would never do that. And you're like, what do you mean?
3: We, we usually see that in the, you know, the form of when, when the kids start talking to each other, right? If, right. if we have shows that have, too much you know narrative or too much script or too much you know talking between cast members or characters um you know all the kids start yapping to each other and they start to lose interest and get distracted it's you know you've got to keep them engaged and so we've we've gone through you know i don't know a dozen different titles that that we've had to perfect over the years and and i think we found the recipe it's just you know take some time
2: Well, no, but they're good, too, right? Because they're honest. Yeah. Like, you'll have a lot of adults just kind of like, no, that was great. That was great. And the kids are like, no, that didn't work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then you got to, like, cut the 40 (laughs) minutes of Snuffleupagus backstory out of your script for the next (laughs) show. (laughs)
2: we want to know all about Snuffy, take it back. (laughs) It's going to be on the cutting report. This is why I'm not allowed to do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Our thanks to Jonathan Linden and Stephen Shaw. Thanks to co-host Katie Zaccardi and producer Lauren. And thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We've had an absolute blast, and we'll see you next week.